as I continue to work my way through the Bible, which I'm falling behind in my daily readings, but I'm still trying to truck through it in one year. As I continue to go through, especially in the Old Testament, I'm beginning to see that God is really only trying to get across one message to Israel. (laughs) One thing. He just wants them to get one thing in all those years leading up to when He's going to send His Son. And that one thing He's trying to get across to Israel is that they are a nation that is different from other nations and they should not be like other nations. That's the whole thing I think He's trying to get across. You are a nation that is set apart. And the word that we use for set apart, and I think it's in all three languages, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, is holy. When something's holy, it's set apart. Like my chalice, right? The chalice we use during Mass. It's holy. It's set apart just for the celebration of Mass. So if we got a new chalice and I got rid of that one, that chalice could never be used for anything else because it has been set apart. You just can't take that chalice, pour wine into it, and drink it over at my rectory. It's holy. And so long as Israel remembered this, the fact that they were not like other nations, they shouldn't be like other nations, they shouldn't want to be like other nations. They put all of their trust, their hope in God, and so long as they did this, Israel annihilated everyone. If you don't believe me, read the book of Joshua. That is when Israel was most focused on their mission. Now, when they didn't focus on their mission, when they wanted to be like other nations, when they wanted to get together and intermarry and practice the pagan worship and the pagan morality, that's when all the problems came into their society. You don't believe me? Read the rest of the Old Testament. My friends, we as a church are not meant to be like everybody else. We are to be noticeably different. And that's what in in and the reason I think that we fall apart, and the reason why all the different religions, or not even religions, but cultures of the world. They rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall. Because they have worldly leadership. They have worldly leadership. And worldly leaders, for the most part, are all the same. And this is why the first reading from Jeremiah should give us hope. He's talking about all the leaders of Israel, these kings. You see, because God, the way He set up Israel, was not to have kings. But at a certain point, when Samuel was a prophet, and you can go and I challenge you to read it, Samuel chapter 8, the people come to Samuel and they say, we're sick of following God. We can't see Him. We don't know where He is. He just shows up randomly. He speaks to us in veiled language through prophets. We want a king. We want to be like every other nation. We want a king. And Samuel said, you don't want a king. Because a king will take advantage of you. God won't, but a king will. And they say, we want one just like everybody else. So Samuel grants their wish. God grants their wish. He says, give them a king. And the rest of Israel's history is a mess. Because these kings became very bad shepherds, as Jeremiah calls them. You bad shepherds. Bad leaders. Because what would happen is the kings would begin 
to mingle with the nations around them. And then the worst thing that could happen is when the king imposed all these pagan beliefs, totally left behind all the Jewish beliefs, and completely made the people that, that followed him in Israel practice those beliefs too. And that's why God at one point in today's reading in Jeremiah says, I've had it. I've had it with world leadership. I am going to raise up a leader who you can trust. A leader who will not lead you astray. In fact, it's going to be me. I'm going to lead. I'm sick of these people leading. I'm going to lead now. And he sends his only begotten son. So this has happened in one aspect, right? Jesus Christ comes. He is the good shepherd. He even says to it. I mean, he's, he's echoing Jeremiah. I'm not a bad shepherd. I am the good shepherd leading my sheep to eternal life. But here's the catch. He's gone now. Jesus is gone now. Do we still have leadership? That when that leadership speaks, it's Christ speaking. Do we still have that? Do we have leadership that we can trust? That no matter what they say, we know it's for our good? Yes, we do. Because Jesus Christ Himself set up a church. He put Peter at the head of it. And He gave him power to speak in His name. So whenever the Pope speaks on faith and morals... Whenever the bishops of the world come together, we call it the magisterium. Whenever they speak, that is the mind of Jesus Christ. It is Christ's voice speaking to us. The thing I want to get across to you is this. You can trust the church. You can trust the church. In the, in the modern day and age, there is this idea that you can have Jesus without the church. It just doesn't work. You can't. And when people start doing that, they start mingling with the nations, the people around us. The people around us. And if you want to question me and say, how do you know the Catholic Church is the church and the voice of Jesus? Because it's the only one that's attacked. It's the only one that's attacked. There are 30-some thousand denominations of Christians. Who's the one that always makes the news? Nobody else. Because those other ones have mingled with the nations. They have sold out in one aspect or another. It doesn't mean that they don't have good people. It doesn't mean that they don't pray well or that they say the Scriptures. They do. But they are lacking the fullness of what Christ wants to get across to His people. That exists within the Catholic Church. If we are divided, and the reason I'm a little bit more passionate about this this morning than I would have been, is because last night there was a protest at the cathedral. Small, but a protest against Bishop Kagan and against the Conference of Bishops. Because a group of people thought that they knew better than the church. You guys, I want you to understand the arrogance that is involved in that. The pride that is involved in that. Oh, the church says this, but I know better. I know better. Listen, there's things that I struggle with within the Catholic Church, but I know she is there for my good. 
Not to ruin my life like the bad shepherds of Israel, but to save my life. I challenge you this week. I challenge you this week as a practical piece to this homily. If there's a teaching in the church, maybe there's several, but at least one that you struggle with. And that could be a, it could be a number of things. It could be, I have to go to Mass every Sunday. I have to go to Mass on Holy Days of Obligation. It could be contraception. It could be abortion. You name it. It could be confession. It could be the real presence of the Eucharist. Any teaching of the church on faith and morals, I challenge you to take one of those this week and to give it up. Give it up. You're wrong. You are wrong. And that might sound arrogant as the day is long, but it's true. Whenever your mind is not in mind with the church, you're wrong. I don't know if I told you this story, but my first wedding I ever preached, I was all jacked up, new priest. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, this is going to be a great day. It's beautiful. But this couple needs to hear about contraception. They need to hear about it. They, you know, they were struggling with it. So I said, that's, and I was nervous. You know, I, I don't know. This is my first time I ever preached at a wedding. And I preached on contraception. After the mass, I thought it went fantastically well. I don't even know if that's a word. I walked out smiling, you know, everybody, I'm, everybody's clapping and happy and I was successful. And I got to the back and people were coming out and I was shaking hands and stuff. And this one lady came up to me and just ripped me apart. She's like, I got a problem with you in front of everybody. The wedding, I mean, the bride and the groom are still there. And she's like, you and your teaching, she's like, I'm Christian and I know what it means. And this stuff on contraception, how could you ever understand it? You're a priest, you're celibate, you don't know what it's like to be married. Blah, 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 blah. And just on and on and on. And I'm like, and finally, I was like, when she finally took a breath, I jumped in really quick. You know? And I was like, ma'am, ma'am, I'm, I'm sorry, but there must be a mistake here. And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you don't have a problem with me. You got a problem with him. And you need to go take it up with him. Because I'm just telling you what he told me. So we're done here now. <laughs> and I just walked away. I think she was a bit stunned. She really didn't. But that's the point. And when we're divided on those issues, a kingdom that's divided can't stand. Now listen, whether you believe everything that the church teaches or not, the church is still going to go on. She's still going to go on. But she's there for your good, not for your downfall. It's not like this group of guys gets together over in Rome and they're like, how can we ruin people's lives? You know, let's, let's make it as hard and horrible for... No, it's because we've been studying the human person for 2,000 years. And we know it works and what doesn't. And for you to sit back and say, oh, I know what's better. That is one of the most arrogant things you can say. I challenge you to live all of the church's teachings and see what life is like. I challenge you. I'm not saying you're going to you know, succeed 100%. I don't. I'm weak. I make stupid mistakes still. And I just I want to end on this. Because there could be in your heart a little something that's coming up. And it might be this. 
Father, if we're supposed to pay attention to the church, then how do you explain the priest scandals? How do you explain in the Middle Ages the popes? Some had kids. Some bought the papacy. And we're supposed to believe that those guys are out for our good. The first thing I'd say is this. You never put your place, you never place your hope in a priest. Ever. I will let you down. I guarantee I will let you down. Probably numerous times. So will bishops. So will popes. You place your hope in him. He won't let you down. And the second thing is this. In the midst of our 2,000 year tradition, have we had bad things? Yeah. We've had bad things. People think the priest scandal's bad. <coughs> Holy cow, have we been through way worse. And I'm not trying to downplay that. That was horrible. And those are bad men that made bad decisions. But in our 2,000 year years of history, our teaching on faith and morals has never changed. And has never, ever been a lie. And for me, that gives great credence to the fact that the Holy Spirit is guiding this institution. That even when we do have corrupt priests, corrupt bishops, corrupt popes, corrupt laity, don't forget that either. When we have that, that God is still getting His way and He is still teaching the truth. That will never change. And because of that, you can trust the church. You can trust the church. And so, again, as you come forward in this Mass today, maybe you have some time during the offertory, during the collection, think about a thing maybe you struggle with. Not even say you deny, but you just struggle with. Give it up. Give it up to Him in the Eucharist today. And realize that He's right and you're wrong. It's a beautiful life when you trust Jesus Christ. It's a hard life when you trust yourself.